the video game Doom is based on Butch Reed's life, right? Yes, running through a hallway with a gun, just <laughs> shooting whoever jumps in front of you. That, I mean, that's that's how I know Butch Reed. We'll get into it at the end of the episode, guys. Just wait. Just The thing that I always think of when I think of Butch Reed is I think about my old roommate Tyshawn singing what he thought the Doom's entrance song was. It's been years since I've heard what Doom's entrance song is, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't Doom! 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 But he used to say it all the time. Like anytime there was a picture of Butch Reed, he would just start singing it or Ron Simmons. So flash forward to years later, when I see Ron Simmons at a convention or at a virtual gimmick table, that's all I can think of is doom, doom, which I wouldn't put it past 1992 WCW. Yeah, about that bad. That's about about on par. I mean, it's about a, a guy who could like literally beat you up and then hand you back your lunch. Or, like, let's just have him come out to the ring with. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> All right. Hello and welcome to Tim Bell Pod, the podcast critics everywhere are calling. I've never heard of that. I'm Nick Alexander, joined by the hard cam section, Tyler Wood. Oh, thank you, Nick. That's because he's empty, <laughs> but but unfortunately he's the opposite of the hard cam section because nobody's talking about him on social media. So we are also joined by a guy who has click bulimia because he keeps throwing up that too sweet pro grappler, the man scout Jake Vanek. Oh. Yes, I, I am, but not not so much because Kevin Nash is my best friend. Just to remind all of you listeners out there, but uh, because. Uh, I work for the Massey family. That's why. That's why I'm throwing up the two sweet. Click bulimia. I like that. Well done. Today, we are covering another guy that seems to be slowly fading out of pro wrestling history. And this is one of the most criminal offenses because he was a draw. He worked with big companies, big names. He has a five-star match. We'll get into that. An all-time legendary feud. And he's like everything you could ask for in an all-time great. Yet, WWE doesn't honor him. Fans don't mention him. He's not on your lovely little collector's cups. He's not on the cover of this program. He's barely promoted. He's certainly not on any crappy show on the USA Network. But Butch Reed should be. Hi, Colt Cabana. This is a pipe bomb. You guys, you guys don't <laughs> oh, know the pipe bomb. Oh, <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Can we get Spencer in here? She might say something a little more creative. I don't know. Let's get her in here. But no, yeah. I guess I never really thought of it that way until you, you did kind of break it down like that yeah butch reed criminally forgotten about and it just it really is i want to say bad timing but just getting lost in the shuffle that there's a lot of other things going on and during his peak it was hulk hogan and everybody else and they're just taking top stars from the territories and he was like the 10th or 12th guy that got even though like like he was a big star and that just goes to show like you said like all those people that were wrestling in the mid cards in wwf from 1985 to 1990 could have main evented any territory across the country, but here they are, and 
WWF, you know, being the fourth match on a house show in Poughkeepsie, putting somebody else over or so far away from drawing money with Hulk Hogan, it's, it's laughable and it's criminal. But yeah, Butchery's just one of those guys. But of course, obviously, the second he gets away from WWE, I think it's an amazing tag run with Ron Simmons. And I, I feel like that's also criminally underrated as well, too. There's some really great matches there, too. You think that's a little bit closer to people's memories. But even early 90s WCW is just kind of part of the blip, if you will, of professional wrestling. They just forget about some of the great wrestling that exists during that time as well, too. So yeah, criminally forgotten about. And we're going to uncover it today and hopefully you discover us a little bit something about broach reed and appreciate him as much as we do yeah this was really my first introduction to butch i don't think anybody's that surprised being raised by what vince McMahon by ron simmons and it's yes. very surprising that i don't know anything about butch reed <laughs> yeah Teddy you know, was over every sunday never brought it up it was weird never brought it up about him and butch it's very weird <laughs> I am a victim of what WWE, the the history that they rewrote of that time. I obviously know a lot more WWE history than WCW history, even though Butch stopped into the WWE for a bit. It just wasn't, wasn't covered a lot. Knew a lot more about Ron Simmons because obviously he stayed with the APA and they cover his time a little bit more because he, uh, he took off a little bit better out of the two. But it's been fun to, to go back through and get a look at this guy because good Lord, is he a dense large man <laughs> it's us and vince mcmahon we love our dense large <laughs> men don't we that just the big pectoral muscles and he put them to use beating the shit out of people you jim ross and vince mcmahon all should just get in a circle jerk together and <laughs> just throw different pictures down on the ground dr death butch reed <laughs> it's just whatever Tickles you guys' fancy. Oh, yeah. Right. Throw Chris Masters in there. Those traps, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The Chris Masters thing. Your quiet infatuation with Chris Masters. It's loud, depending on uh, if I know if anybody's in the house or not. Um, <laughs> oh, something else I did want to know before we get into anything, just taking a step back and looking at his career as a whole, according to Cage Match, so take it with a grain of salt, but he wrestled. According to Cage Match, 1,466 matches between 1979 and 2013, which, Jesus. yeah, that is an astounding number. So many of the guys from that time are wrestling well over 1,000 matches because there were times that they were wrestling 20-plus matches in a month. Very different from today. And those guys were, yeah. were built differently and um, weren't afraid to beat the shit out of you. Well, a couple of hundred of those were Mid-South matches, so that's like after an eight-hour drive and they get in the car and do another six-hour drive, and then also being told to beat the shit out of each other to make these rednecks believe in Shreveport. So <laughs> those couple hundred that he had in Mid-South might as well count three times over. Butch Franklin Reed was... Butch... Butch... Bruce fucking Christ. Bruce... Bruce Franklin Reed was born July 11th, 1954 in Kansas City, Missouri, growing up in Warrensburg, Missouri. I just imagine that uh, you fumbled over his name four times because you're looking at a picture of him while you're doing it, and you're like, I don't want this guy <laughs> to beat my ass from the grave. <laughs> Bruce said he had a good childhood, came up in kind of a rough and tough family of hardworking people, and I'm sure Missouri wasn't super chill about race stuff when he was growing up because I did a show there in 2017 and it didn't seem very chill about it then. <laughs> Butch's school district didn't do wrestling, so Butch played a little basketball growing up, but his sport was football and he was good enough to play college football, first going to a Junco to get his grades up 
and then spending 1973, 74, 75 at the University of Central Missouri. He actually got offers from like way bigger schools, but he just like wanted to stay around home. Butch came out of college football a little bit beat up with knee and ankle issues. Uh, remember that for later. But he was still able to walk onto the Kansas City Chiefs preseason roster May of 76, but he was cut in July. And there's a little bit of debate on whether or not he actually played a game in the NFL. Butch kind of hinted he did in his shoe. I don't know if he was kayfaving us, but there's basically nothing to support it. The general consensus is that he was a practice squad guy. Uh, still pretty awesome. Either way, no long 10-year NFL career or anything like that. And he seemed to be completely out of the league around 77-ish. Well, Vader told him that it's just better to lie and say, <laughs> oh yeah, I was on the Rams. Like, just lie about your fo football act. Like, much like F Manny Fernandez would tell people that he was the same Manny Fernandez that was on the Miami Dolphins when they had the perfect season, when they're com <laughs> two completely different people and two completely different ages. So much, in fact, I remember reading an article in my hometown newspaper, the Clinton Herald, there was a wrestling show booked at the baseball stadium for the Clinton Giants. There was wrestling there and I wasn't allowed to go. And now I'm reading about it in the newspaper after the fact. And the results are in there as if it's a sporting event. And they said that former Miami Dolphin Manny Fernandez uh, <laughs> appeared in the match. So flash forward to the years later that I know Manny Fernandez and I go, oh, you played for the Miami Dolphins. And Come to find out he used to lie about that all the time. <laughs> After football wrapped, one night circa 1978, Butch walked into wrestling promoter Bob Geigel's bar, The Tender Trap in Kansas City. And Bob said, why the long face? And Bruce said, I'm not a horse, so this joke structure doesn't really work. A-time NWA Central States U.S. heavyweight champion Ronnie Eckerson happened to be in the bar that night when he saw the big man. They get to talking, he sold Butch on wrestling, and he ends up training for about a year. And just like that, walking into a bar, he's a pro wrestler. And what a different time pro wrestling is at this point. Like, Bob Geigel, I believe he's, he's a, a partner in the Central States territory. He's NWA president. Ric Flair always describes him as like the most chill, laid back NWA president they ever had of all time. Like he would just walk into the building in shower shoes or other <laughs> NWA presidents would be like Sam Muchnick and dressed in the nicest suit possible, name stitched in the inner lining of the coat where Bob Geigel like just runs a bar. He owns a little bit of the wrestling territory in town just wants to come in, make a little bit of money. He's got his local business. Ever comes in the bar. He's like, hey, you should check out. We're running the municipal auditorium. You should come down. <laughs> like, it's like it's just a local small business that exists. Like, like every town's got their own little minor league team, much like every town has their own wrestling that they have every Thursday or Wednesday night of the week. Jake, you ever had anybody approach you about getting into wrestling? Or like, what's the weirdest way you've seen somebody try to go about it? Like, show up somewhere where they're not supposed to be and be like, hey, I heard this is how you do things. <laughs> Recently, somebody just walked up to me while I was wearing an AEW shirt and they said I should get into wrestling because I got a good body. I mean, that <laughs> happened recently. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, it was nice seeing you Friday, Jake. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> well, I didn't, I, I didn't tell you what happened on Saturday. Um, I was <laughs> doing a VIP check-in and handing out these bags because when you pay an extra 60 bucks, you get to get in a little bit early and you get these free bags as part of a VIP experience that we're doing. A guy walked by wearing one of my t-shirts and I jokingly just kind of was like, hey man, nice shirt. And the guy looked at me super fucking confused and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and, and, and like Zane was right there he, and he started laughing hysterically. I was like, that guy didn't know who the fuck you were. I'm like, he's wearing my shirt. And then like five minutes later, he came back. He goes, oh my gosh, man, I didn't even know. Like, I bought this shirt years ago. And like, it was years ago. And you look completely different. I go, absolutely not. I've no. looked the same since 20, 2012. I have, I have looked the same. And you've bought this guy. I was like, I'm thinking like this guy bought a shirt. At a show in LA because you liked what this guy did, and then you never thought about him again. And clearly, he'd worn the shirt a lot because it was all faded and crackled and stuff like that. Like, oh, this is my wrestling shirt. You see him again, and you don't even recognize him on the street. It is very funny, Jay, because you have not aged a day in the last <laughs> 20 years. Like, you look the exact same. You're like the vampire of wrestling. Like, forget Vampiro. Fuck, fuck him. You don't age, and I'm pretty sure you sleep upside down with your eyes open, if I had to guess. <laughs> I'm a gypsy vampire pirate. That's what I am, and that's <laughs> the life that I have chosen. Using his real name, Bruce Reed, he debuted in 1978, getting sent up to all-Canadian wrestling, working for Al Tomko. Yeah, just send him up to Canada. If he, if he, if he sucks, it's not on me. He doesn't have to bear himself in my hometown. That's the thing, too. It's probably like, all right, well, if I suck, this is a different country. I can just leave, and nobody will ever know that I did this up here. Mm -hmm. I'll just I'll just tell everybody at the bar I was just I'm like, yeah, I tried that wrestling stuff. It really didn't work out for me. Not enough money in it. You know how it is. <laughs> I wonder how much of that, too, is like maybe they're trying to weed out the people. It's like, yeah, you've gone through the training, and that's like the one hard thing, but there's a psychology for being on the road away from where you're from and just getting shoved up to to Canada where I'm sure some of the smaller spot shows are in bumfuck nowhere. It's cold as hell. And it's like, well, this is really going to test whether or not you have the mind, the, the strong psychological capability to stay on the road. By 79, Butch had made his way to NWA Vancouver. And I didn't recognize too many names from this time period, but he was working with Eric Embry and Bobby Jaggers. By 79 and throughout 80 and 81, he was back near home. He started bouncing between central states and, the, and a much bigger step up, uh, St. Louis. He started adding some fancier names to his resume, people like Ox Baker, Rufus Jones, and Bruiser Brody. And roughly about this time, Sam Muchnick into the St. Louis wrestling that was going on wrestling at the Chase. Like That was the premier crown jewel of... The NWA territory as well as just wrestling in general. The, that old Missouri title that was defended on St. Louis television, if you won that Missouri title, then the NWA board would see how that title run went, and then, then you'd be in consideration and in the running for the NWA world title. And that's why you see Ric Flair get an opportunity to that belt, Ted DiBiase, who was highly considered to be an NWA world champion and probably would have won it if he wouldn't have gone to WWF at the time. So, like, that Missouri title was very much like the grooming belt for somebody being a world champion. And also, too, it was, it was a strong TV. It was a well-run TV. So, you know, if you did well on their television program, you would do well in everybody else's television program that had different territories, may it be in Dallas or Portland or in, in Georgia, where, wherever they had television. If you could do well on the St. Louis television, you were... You were minted as a guy to keep your eye on and bookmark possibly for one day being a champion. And for Bruce to kind of, Butch, excuse me, Bruce, Butch, whatever you want to call him, he's going to beat the shit out of you either way. Um, <laughs> like to be kind of in the mix with the cream of the crop and also too, like geographically, it helps. He's got a good body, got a good look. They're like, yeah, bring this guy in. And it just happens to be right place, right time. 
And this just happens to be the place that everybody wants to be. When we visited Terry Funk, I remember him talking about smuggling his way on a plane <laughs> to get to St. Louis TV. Because back in that day, like planes would go from one stop to the next stop, like Southwest does now. Like If you have a connecting flight, you can stay on the plane and keep your seat. Terry Funk said that he knew this route from Amarillo to somewhere in Oklahoma to St. Louis. And people would stay over in the, the plane for the connecting flight. Well, he would only pay to Oklahoma City and then fall asleep on the plane. And because he was asleep, nobody would wake him up to check his ticket. So therefore, he would then get another flight for like half the price. But he's like, he's not what you got to do. If you want, you want to make it, you got to get to St. Louis one way or another. And that's the way you did it. It's funny you say that uh, that's how Terry Funk got to St. Louis, because I always heard it was practice, practice, practice. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning from watching you, Nick. <laughs> Bruce won the tag titles with. You mean Butch? Butch. Uh, he's not Butch yet. Uh, oh, it's, it's, okay. Well, that's why we're confusing. This is your fault. Your time. Yeah. This timeline is messing things up. This whole timeline where where Butch Reed should have been world champion of WWF and not Hulk Hogan, and Vince would have made this highly progressive move and put an African-American champion on top in the 80s would have changed wrestling, and, and his name would have been Bruce instead of Butch. That's the timeline <laughs> we're, we're talking about right this now. Is, guys, we are Brucering this. Uh, all right. <laughs> Reed won the tag titles with uh, Jerry Roberts, better known as the Mountie, or Jacques Rougeau, holding them for uh, a couple months before dropping them to the Kelly Twins. But Central States is where he picked up Harley Race as a mentor and lifelong friend. So that experience plus Harley, that's a pretty huge win all by itself to like make it in wrestling. I mean, if you want somebody to open a door for you, I mean, Harley Race will... All you have to say is when somebody's like, who trained you or who, who referred you? Or if Harley picks up a phone at anybody in the world and be like, hey, I need you to book my, my friend butch reed over here they're gonna fucking do it because it's harley fucking race like what a mentor a champion of your work you couldn't ask for anybody better by mid 81 bruce went to georgia and that's where he started working with some legends uh brody again but bobby eaton in there uh he ran into jim duggan for the first time snooka the Freebirds. so if he's not in good ring shape by then he is now then, early 82, Bruce's career really took off when he went to Championship Wrestling of Florida. Here is where he changed his name to Butch Reed and eventually got his first major push. And a lot of people mentioned how he went from green to good insanely fast. He's about three years in at this point, already has an all-time great drop kick, trillion-dollar body, Harley is tutoring him. He's working against all-time greats. This is just like the perfect storm of wrestling stardom potential. But now you've gone to Florida where, I mean, the Briscoes are king, and Harley has the, the relationship with, with the Briscoes, and be like, probably calling up telling him, hey, watch out for this guy Butch Reed. He's one to look out for. And also, too, probably about, usually about three years is when people kind of put it all together, like nowadays. But Back in these days when Butch was wrestling, three years is like 10 years worth of matches now. So he's got an exuberant amount of knowledge and, and ring awareness right now and ring time under his belt. So he's he's ready to bust loose. And it's a running joke, I believe, on Bruce Pritchard's podcast where he's talking about, you know, is this guy over like Butch Reed was in Florida? 
Not as much as Dusty in Florida, as Dusty will probably tell you, but Butch Reed in Florida is up there as well. You know, most people call him uh, Butch Pritchard nowadays. <laughs> Out of that incredible list of matches, like it was over 1,400, 1982 was Butch's busiest year wrestling 211 matches, which is, I did the math, you, you divide... Uh, 211 by 365, you get 1.7. So he does not get more than one day off every once in a while. Like, this dude is constantly working, busting his ass on the road, and it's, and it's insane. And July, busiest month, 23 matches. Just wait till he gets to vets, and he's like, 211 matches? You working part-time? <laughs> so in just his first month in Florida, he teamed with Jerry and Jack Briscoe, he worked against Onita, and he got his first of many NWA world title shots against Ric Flair, and they would face each other 19 times just throughout 1982. Well, and he probably saw Rick during that time when he was in like St. Louis. Rick might have been going through being groomed to win the world title, and also too like the way that Rick holds Har- Harley in such a high regard. I'm sure word would have got around to Rick through Harley about like, hey, this kid Butchery can do some stuff. And, you know, Ric Flair of his stature at the time, if he finds out somebody can do something, much like when Rick found out that, you know, hey, you know, Barry Windham, this this kid's looking good. Let's let's go. Let's 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 do some work. Let's let really have put on a hell of a good match. And for someone like Rick, who's going to territory to territory, and it's a mixed bag of who he's wrestling or. In the situation of Memphis, he thinks he's wrestling Jerry Lawler, and then it's changed now to Bill Dundee, and then it changed again to Coco Beware. And he's like, well, who am I wrestling tonight? What's going on? What, what angle did you run here? I thought I was wrestling this guy, but now I'm wrestling him. For him to walk into Florida and probably hearing through the grapevine, this Butch Reed guy is a hell of a hand. You know, Rick's going to want to show him off and wants to show off what he can do and show he can make anybody into a star. you just got to follow And whether it's 80s Florida or much later in WCW, these are all good, believable, close, dramatic matches. This is one of Rick's, like, great rivalries. And again, it's something you never really hear about. I mean, obviously, like, Dusty, Harley, Sting, crippling alcoholism, kind of still the show as far as Flair feuds. But, man, Butch and Flair was magic. And also, Butch has that, has a mix of kind of, what makes a good flair match like I, I flair is always like the best when he's wrestling a guy who's bigger stronger than him always and look at the way that he portrayed sting as this guy that could absorb a chop and then no sell it a guy who could take a body slam get right back up and then body slam flair 10 times but then like you also have to be able to move and be more agile like you know rick could kind of do that with the road warriors and they could go a little bit but they couldn't go like barry windham you know, at, at the idea of just nonstop motion, nonstop movement. And that's where, you know, he always praised Lex Luger is like, you know, Luger could go nonstop for 45 minutes and still have enough energy and strength to gorilla press him at minute 45 of an hour Broadway. And, you know, that's what Flair looks for is a guy that can basically kick his ass as believably as possible. And then when it comes time for Rick to get his, you know, he's like, oh, I made this guy look like a star. Now when I'm kicking his ass, I look like the star. That's just, that was the beauty of what Rick did. Early on as well, Butch lost an international heavyweight title match against Dory Jr. and a death match to David Von Erich for the Florida Southern heavyweight title. But kind of aside from Flair here, his main feud is Dory Funk, which is also pretty good. (laughs) 
April 82 is just a super cool month for Butch. April 11th, he and Sweet Brown Sugar, who is Skip Young, beat David Von Erich and Dory for the NWA North American Tag Titles. But back up to April 7th, Reed had what is now recognized as the first ever five-star rated match by Dave Meltzer when he lost to Ric Flair for an NWA title shot in Miami, Florida. I couldn't find footage anywhere. And we could go back and forth on whether, like, what anything Dave says actually fucking matters. But a five-star match, it has become, like, this world-recognized thing. So for him to be the first, it's, it's still pretty cool. Butch continued his massive breakout year of 82, defending the tag titles, continued his NWA world title feud with Rick, trading the international title with Dory. He got into a feud with John Studd. And then, arguably, the best thing, he tagged up with 1982 Florida Dusty Rhodes. That's right, baby. Put a sprinkle of little stardust on you. It'd be a little bit of medical. It'd be incredible. It'd be sensation. It'd be box office, baby. Just let me, let me stink a little of my stardom right on top of you and let that tree grow. Let them branches, let them roots sink into the ground. Let the ever, sink into the Everglades all the way up to Jacksonville, Florida, baby. The roots are going to run deep all the way through the Florida territory. That's what I'm saying to you, baby. The tree of Butch Reed's career shall grow because Dustin Rhodes has anointed him as okay enough to (laughs) tag my hand when I come in for the hot tag after he's done all the work for the last 25 minutes and the dream just wiggle his little butt and put his little elbow up and everybody sell for it. And we go on home to the pay window, baby. From what I saw in the promos that I watched, at least as uh, definitely some of the early ones, Butch, I don't think took too many lessons from Dusty on promos because uh, <laughs> Butch's promos, he screamed full volume for about two minutes and he was done. Maybe that's why we don't hear too much from Butch Reed. Nobody's ever said, <laughs> you know what? The one Butch Reed promo that I saw, like, yeah. and like... I think we've, I think we figured out, I think we nailed it. End of the episode, this is why you've never heard of Butchery before. <laughs> Not a good promo. Kind of a necessary thing. And uh, Butch, uh, I don't think anybody's ever, ever said that he was a good promo. And you can think about it, every time he's ever had a big run in a major place, he's always had a manager. I don't think mm. that's a, uh, a mistake. It's funny, good subjective, but he was memorable because... When he got done after those two minutes, my thought most of the time was, holy fuck, that man is terrifying. January 1st, 83, Butch kicked off the year having a one-hour draw against Ric Flair in St. Louis. He spent the next couple months mostly down in Georgia facing Flair and a lot of matches with Buzz Sawyer, Ivan Koloff. But by March of 83, Butch went to Mid-South working for Bill Watts, and while he would pop into other places from time to time, this would be Reed's home for the next couple of years, and here is where Butch parlays all this heat behind him into, like, legend status. He did have a few dates back in January of 80 as Bruce with Mid-South, but as far as, like, Hacksaw Butch Reed showing up and being the fucking man, this is it. Butch would debut March 20th, 83, tagging with JYD to beat the Rat Pack members Matt Bourne and Jim Duggan. So kind of like tagging with Dusty in Florida, he came to Mid-South, started tagging with JYD. And Tyler, this isn't gotcha journalism designed to make Jake yell at you, but do you have even the slightest grasp on just how unbelievably over JYD was in Mid-South? 
Um, I've heard some things, but I'm not sure if I grasp it fully. Jake, if you would like Motherfucker, to it should feel from your fucking bones. If you call yourself a fucking wrestling fan, you should feel it in your goddamn bones. It's one of the few things that gets Jim Ross the smile these days is talking about <laughs> Junkyard Dog, talking about how they used to chant, like, who they, who they say they can beat that dog? I mean, you're talking about a just white, hot, whatever he did, it made no difference. And you look back at a Junkyard Dog in, in Mid-South, kind of limited in the ring, mm-hmm. but so, so over, it didn't matter. It really did, and he just had to do, like, the three to six things that he did and just dance a little bit, sell a little bit, get some headbutts in, close on some motherfuckers, and people were fucking happy. Whatever you think of, like, just biggest stars like Stone Cold, Height of Hulkamania, that's what you had with fans in the Mid-South region who really honestly truly believe that these guys were beating the shit out of each other and like down home people that would fight somebody for it. I mean, and pull a knife out at a guy that was going to hurt their hero. That's who he was. He was their champion. He was their hero. Everything you want to feel for a baby face. That's what JYD was. And was Butch being set up by Bill Watts to like replace JYD as like a top African-American star there or... Well, that's always the speculation. They were always trying to find that next black superstar, and they brought a lot of guys who were subpar who were not stars, and that was mm-hmm. like one of the things that they said, like, don't look for the next black star, just look for another star. But Bill Watts, surprisingly, uh, just equated to, like, oh, this guy's over because we have a lot of blacks in the crowd, so we need a black. He's so close Anything to being that's... progressive. He's, like, that close. Yes! <laughs> hey! <laughs> If you just complete the thought like, hey, representation matters because some young black kid in the crowd looks up to someone like JYD and be like, I could do that someday and gives them inspiration and hope, cheer, and like that's feeling and emotion and that's what you look for in pro wrestling. And that's why I need somebody to be a a champion who is African-American and black in my promotion. That's why I need it. You're like, no, blacks buy tickets. I need them to show up to the shows. So. We need to have enough black people to get black people money. Like, that's kind of what he's, what he's saying. And it's just, you were so close, Bill. You, you <laughs> just take it that next step, that the importance of representation and the importance of giving people hope that they could achieve the heights of this hero that is in front of them. It is possible because I see it there before me and he slapped my hand and I touched him and he's real. This isn't a figment of my imagination. This isn't somebody I saw on the television or it was a cartoon or an actor. No, this is a real person who triumphed in the ring before me. And that is something to die for and live for. And that's why these fans are so passionate. Nope. Got black ticket payers. That's all I need. That's all I need. Yeah, yeah, kid. All that's good. I got this guy named Ron Simmons on the phone. We're going to try him next. (laughs) Following his debut, Hacksaw Butch Reed was part of the North American title tournament, which you can find on episode 186 of Mid-South Wrestling. He beat Super Destroyer, Jim Duggan, before losing to Mr. Olympia after Jim Duggan interference. And that's going to be kind of his like first big feud, feuding over the Hacksaw name with Jim, although neither end up dropping it in Mid-South or throughout their career. 
Jem was part of the Rat Pack with Ted DiBiase and Matt Bourne, a despised Hill stable, so Butch quickly became one of the biggest faces in the company alongside JYD. All this was a setup. By the summer of 83, Butch would cement his place in wrestling history, having one of the biggest feuds in territory wrestling history. On the May 28th, 83 episode of Mid-South, Dick Murdoch was supposed to tag with JYD, but he no-showed. That led to them letting the fans choose JYD's partner by round of applause. They bring out a bunch of uh, faces one by one, Johnny Rich, Tom Jones, Tito, Hexel Butch Reed, but then the newly turned face, Jim Duggan, comes out, gets the biggest response, and he gets to be JYD's partner. Later on the show, Butch is a little salty about it, but nothing too crazy yet. That takes us to June 11th, 83. Reed was on TV saying that Butch Reed is going to start looking out for Butch Reed. And he challenged JYD, his friend, for the North American title. JYD comes down to confront him. They argue a bit. Butch sucker punches him. They wrestle around in the ring before Ted DiBiase runs in to help Butch beat down JYD. And just like that, Butch Reed is the biggest hill in Louisiana. All because he turned on JYD, and that's all you needed to do to be a heel. As a promoter, booker, that is your dream that you have such an Oprah baby face that all you need is just to have somebody cross your main baby face, and now you have the biggest heel in the company. That is the dream. On July 16th, 83, Reed faced JYD for the Mid-South North American title in a packed-out Louisiana Superdome. You can join this match in progress, July 23rd, 83, Mid-South TV. Two out of three falls match. So JYD and Butch end up on the outside. JYD runs Butch's head into the ring post, which is a DQ under dumbass Bill Watts rules. So he loses the first bout, but Butch is all busted open. Later, Bus Sawyer is called attacking JYD in the ring. So another DQ. That takes us to the final fall. There's a ref bump. King Kong Bundy comes out, blasts JYD in the head with brass knuckles, which in kayfabe should have broke Bundy's hand. Ref gets back in one, two, three, and your new champion, Butch Reed. And he said after this match, he had to pull a gun on fans because they were so angry and coming after him. <laughs> yeah, you don't get heat like that anymore, brother. Goddamn. <laughs> And, uh, and while we're kind of touching on that type of craziness, Butch said he had run-ins with the Klan. He was run out of town with guns sticking out of car windows. Uh, and then in his shoot, he was like, that's all water under the bridge now. <laughs> Just real fucking chill about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can forgive all these racists and all these people threatening my life. But you know what? Nord trying to get in a locker room fight with me? Fuck him. Fuck him, <laughs> which also was during this time, and I think Tyler, you did some research on oh yeah, hacksaw Butch Reed fight, which from what I understand and everything that I've ever heard about it, like, but both men are like super like chill about him, like yeah, we mm. just got into a fight and that's that's whatever, like nope, we never found out. Oh, this guy beat the shit out of that guy, and this guy beat the shit out of that guy, and the story always goes these two guys had an argument. Bill Watts is like, fuck it, you guys go in that locker room beat the shit out of each other and get it all out of each other and then get in my fucking ring and wrestle the match I told you to fucking wrestle. Don't come out until you get it all out. Yeah, this one was fun to listen to because there were a bunch of people from that time that were on like various shoot interviews and uh, I think I definitely heard Nord talk about it and I think Reed talked about it too and it was basically just like that. It's like, yeah, they're, they're, they're two people that beat the shit out of each other and after that we could do business and I, there's something I like <laughs> about that. When two people are angry, but it's very business-like, I like it. It's like with hockey. Like, you know, we're going to punch each other until we go down, then it's done. 
and it's water under the bridge go listening to berserker shoot interview on it it is a little clip online where he talks about how he doesn't like to smoke weed and uh he's like you know i'll, I'll drink i'll do steroids i'll even do crack cocaine but i will not smoke weed and i don't know if the crack cocaine thing was a joke or not i don't know enough about it. Berserker's career. Uh, that might be how you get. <laughs> oh, the Berserker no, he monitor. definitely does. He, he 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 definitely got caught with it. There's a whole crime and sports episode on it. So yes, that is. <laughs> well, thank God he's never smoked weed more than this because uh, it apparently <laughs> sent him into such a rage that he was. He admitted it was his fault. He he put all the fault on himself. He said that he was being disrespectful as a young guy coming in, and uh, he was like sitting in a corner and basically telling Reed, like, hey, I'm not going to do all that shit. Like, we're going to do things the way I want to do it. Fuck, I don't care how long you've been in the business. I'm going to do my thing. I know better than you, blah, 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 blah. And Reed wasn't even a a big fighter. He kept saying, there was, I don't really like how Berserker presented this either, because he, first of all, tries to pawn everything off on the weed. And then he was also kind of saying, like, you know, Reed wasn't, uh, he's not that tough of a guy. Like, there are undertones of that. And part of me is like, I I, I wouldn't be shit-talking Butch Reed. And I think he's probably doing it because he's, he's not around anymore. But the gist of it was that Jim Duggan was kind of the locker room leader, more or less, where, you know, everybody liked him. And if there were some skirmishes, he would kind of take both guys and be like, hey, how can we work this out? And Duggan went to Bill Watson and was like, hey, there's some shit going down in the locker room. Uh, you know, Butch Reed and uh, Nord don't like each other. You know, what do we do? And I think Bill Watts more or less was like, all right. We're going to lock these two guys in a room. And Duggan might have been in there, I don't recall. And from what I heard, both guys got some good licks in. Nobody went down. After a few minutes of beating the shit out of each other, they looked at each other. They're like, all right, we're good now. And they left. (laughs) Never another problem. (laughs) Like, that's the thing that just blows my mind. But at the same time, too, makes fucking sense. Also, too, if you're going to talk shit, fucking back it up. But the fact that you were still angry, like, minutes later, Minutes enough for somebody to go, hey, let me go talk to the boss. Let's have a meeting about what we should do with coworkers that are having a fight right now. Okay, well, I got an idea. You two that are super angry right now, not in the heat of the moment, get in this room and fight each other to the death. And when you come out, you got to be cool. And <laughs> guys are like, all right, cool. Like they're lucid enough to be like, this sounds like a compromise. Let's go in here and beat the shit out of each other and just do that and then get past it. Which leads me to believe that they might have done some really nasty shit to each other. And they're like, what the fuck have we done? This is stupid. I'm not as angry as I was before, but I don't want to back down from you. I'm locked in this fucking room with you now. I did some shit that I regret. You did some shit we regret. Just want to call this Broadway? Yeah, cool. All right. I'm fine with you. I don't want to fucking climb this mountain no more because I realize I can't knock you out with one punch. Uh, and I'm about to do some shit that's going to get me locked up. So... Let's just call it even. I'm wondering if the, Which, at any point they just both got in like a standoff of like the iron claw on each other's dicks. And it's like, well, what do we do now? <laughs> this is a stalemate. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, like, I feel it might be something like that. But I also wonder like, would that even work today? Like, could we lock Sammy Guevara and Andrade in a room and tell them to just to solve their differences? Uh, with that <laughs> like, big of a weight class difference? I don't think so. I think they would come to some sort of resolution. Like, I feel like there would be a compromise met by somebody. Have you heard of anything like this, like in uh, a locker room that you've been in where it's like, hey, you know, those two guys just beat the shit out of each other and everything's just chill afterwards? Because I know there's like there's constant tension in wrestling locker rooms. It's big personalities, crazy assholes from all different walks of life 
coming in. Together. I have no idea what you're talking about. Locker room fights. Don't, oh, don't I, I was talking, Andy. I don't wasn't even talking. Ring, or, oh, uh, you AW. mean a positive or a positive result to a locker room fight? I don't know. Ask me in a few months. <laughs> <laughs> From here, Butch defended his belt as the hill in the territory. He was getting DQ wins over JYD, beating Duggan, Chris Adams, Dusty Rhodes, and he would hold it. Uh, you know, roughly four months. Until the October 15th episode of Mid-South. Kind of a whole thing here. Butch let fans pick the challenger for his belt. They obviously picked JYD. But he said he didn't deserve a shot. Neither did Duggan, that hairy hippie. He said Crusher Khrushchev, or Smash from Demolition, was too green. So Butch basically just gave the title shot to Magnum TA, who like at the time wasn't like fucking Magnum TA. He was still like on the way up. So this was like the cheapest, hillish shit, you know, he could do. But Mid-South, even the odds by letting JYD surprise ref, Butch comes off the top during the match, which is an illegal move because Bill Watts is a stupid asshole. Because of that, JYD like heroically sacrificed himself to protect TA uh, on the first dive, but then the second one, he punches Butch in the air. Magnum picks up Reed, belly to belly, one, two, three. Butch lost his belt. But he wouldn't have too long to be sad. Later that night, it was actually filmed a different day, but uh, him and Jim Neidhart, took Magnum and Jim Duggan's tag team titles. After a few weeks, the North American title was returned to Butch, claiming that TA didn't count because the fans actually chose JYD. So just the dickest hillish stuff. He wouldn't hold it too long, though. October 29th show, Butch faced JYD with special guest Dusty Rhodes dressed as Carmen Sandiego. Solid match. Jim Neidhart tries to interfere, but he eats a bionic elbow. Butch eats a JYD power slam, grabs them cakes. Gets the pin. What? That's the sound of a rattlesnake in your earbuds. That's right. If you didn't want the stone cold Steve Austin experience, you need to shut them earbuds off right now. As a matter of fact, why don't you just take them ears and rip them off? Because if you don't want stone cold talking to you, then you don't deserve ears. Can I get a hell yeah? I'm going to go ahead and assume you said it. I'm here today. Because I want to tell you about my friends over at Ten Bell Pod. Ten Bell Pod, Tyler Wood, Nick Alexander, and Jake, the Man Scout Man, and bringing you some of the best wrestling content on the internet. Now can I get a hell yeah? While you're giving me a hell yeah, why don't you go ahead and pop over to their Patreon. Go ahead and give a subscription. And why don't you hop your fat little ass right over to Pro Wrestling Tees and get a Tin Bell Pod exclusive t-shirt featuring all three of these beautiful men. Might be saying, what? What? Stone Cold, you think these men are beautiful? God damn it, I do. Now you get over there and you buy that t-shirt before I stomp a mud hole in you and walk it dry. Now let me get a hell yeah. Following this, it was mostly tag team wrestling with Jim. They held the belts until Christmas of 83 when they lost them to Magnum and Senior Wrestling Dose in a steel cage match in New Orleans. Neidhart and Butch Reed started blaming each other. They turn, brutal feud. And as part of this, though, they were having football helmet matches. During one of those, Terry Taylor saved Jim from a football helmet themed beating from Butch, and they kicked off a feud together, which put Terry Taylor on the map, so blame Butch Reed. I love Mid-South, like, hearing different stories about it, because it feels like if wrestling was, like, a fever dream, but, like, you're not that sick. Like, it's just some (laughs) things are a little off, 
you know? Yeah. A foreign object-centered match makes sense, but a football helmet match? What the fuck is that? <laughs> Do they just put it on and, like, try to ram into each other? That's what I'm imagining. Yep, that's basically, it's like a sumo wrestling match where about football pads. I believe that's what it was. was. It was just basically sumo wrestling, but with football pads on, or they were all just wearing football pads and then actually having an actual wrestling match. As Terry and Butch battled, Nature Boy Buddy Landell joined in, taking Reed's side. Aside from the Butch versus Terry matches, him and Buddy would also tag up against people like the Rock and Roll Express. But by summer of 84, it was back to feuding with JYD, including several, <laughs> including several ghetto street fights. Anyone want to dive into that? Nope. Uh, <laughs> when we just insert Bill Watts reading the letter that he put into uh, the Observer that one time and then just move right on. They were once again wrapping up to this deeply personal feud between Butch and JYD. As they were building this feud into this epic, career-defining, all-time great level feud during the summer of 84, JYD left and went to WWF without telling anyone, so fuck. Bill Watts addressed this on TV uh, August 18th, and he was like, JYD is a great competitor. He was like very positive about it. I don't think he knew he went to WWF yet. The next show, he was like, fuck that piece of shit. Fuck JYT. Like, he was so mad. <laughs> kind of a weird direction here for Mid-South because they had just lost their biggest face, their biggest feud, their biggest draw, and everything had to be rebooked on the fly. Watts brought in Master G, who was journeyman wrestler George Wells, uh, not the author of Invisible Man, H.G. Wells. Brickhouse Brown talked about him. He said he would take acetal pills because he's got no ass at all. Um, <laughs> I was very uh, brick house. I, I, I know you'd appreciate that that type of humor, Nicholas. That's why I brought it up. But uh, yeah, I guess also had a very bad drug habit as well too. Like, oh, and no. if, if Brickhouse Brown said that guy's got a fucking problem, <laughs> that guy's got a fucking problem. But yeah, it was just one of those guys that they that Bill Watts was trying to replace JYD, and he, he didn't realize what the magic was with JYD. He couldn't put his finger on it. You know, you say, oh, Bill Watts was a genius for finding JYD. Well, no, he was probably more lucky than anything. If he was a genius, yeah. he would have found a way to recreate it. But just goes to show the the magic that was Junkyard Dog. And that's pretty much like, once he left, it's kind of like Mid-South isn't as interesting anymore. And it is what it is at this time. And, you know, Butch Reed is there and doing the best he can. But it's there's no JYD. It's It's over. I just imagine Bill Watts in his office, like, just losing his mind, crying. He's like, but I got another black one. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and, and I love how, like, he, he's like, you know, JYD is a tremendous competitor. And then, like, the next week, like, I have a retraction for a statement we made last week. <laughs> 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 Fuck him. So here is where Watts tries to give Butch JYD spot. They had him turn on Buddy as... Buddy was starting to side with uh, General Skandar Akbar. Akbar gave Buddy a watch to give the read. He didn't want it. He smashed it. That's kind of the whole thing. They attack him. Butch gets backed up by super face now, Jim Duggan. But the two hacksaws feud it with the Akbar army. Before, Butch took a little time away from Mid-South. I assume it was a lot of pressure was put on Butch. So he went up to work with his friend Jimmy Garvin in AWA. Nothing too crazy this run. He was Garvin's bodyguard, mostly beat up some enhancement guys, uh, worked with Steve-O, Brad Regans, came back by mid-85. Probably looking for a payday. There's there's a bunch of people that kind of dip through AWA at this time. I think like Slaughter would dip through. They, like, they'd be Crockett guys that would come through for 
a couple shows here and there, but like AWA was just happy to have anybody who was had any type of notoriety for a few weeks. Like they're also on life support as well too. So if you want to come and do an angle for about six weeks, sure, come on, we'll take you. Back in Mid South, he took the TV title off Dutch Mantel, the Mid South North American title off Dick Murdoch. He had a another famous Broadway with Ric Flair. Dick Slater would interfere in the Flair match, and that would take him into 86, feuding with Slater, before once again leaving Mid-South, this time for good. And around here, anyways, is where the wheels are really coming off for Watts. Uh, Vince is taking over. Mid-South took a swing at being UWF, but ultimately just sold off to Crockett in 87. I love the UWF. It's like, oh, you have a world champion? Well, we have a universal champion. (laughs) Just... The most Bill Watts thing ever. Like, oh yeah, you're a champion of a, of just this world? We're a champion of all the worlds. <laughs> I wonder if Bill Watts saw the Universal title when WWE debuted it, and he's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it was a good <laughs> Goddamn. Nobody ever talked about that, because guess what? Because nobody knew Bill Watts existed when they brought that title out. So, <laughs> But yeah, there's a lot of reasons why... Mid-South failed because it was, a lot of people regarded it as like one of the best wrestling territories ever. And you look at the roster they had and some of the things they were doing and a lot of it gets replicated over the years. And, you know, there's a lot of questions like how could something so good just go away so quickly? Because when it, when it left, it left. It was gone. You know, obviously JYD leaving didn't help when you lose your top star like that. There was also an oil embargo and a lot of stuff in the, in the economy of that area dropped. If you listen to Brickhouse Brown, Bill Watts was in the middle of an extramarital affair <laughs> and was not focused on, on the business of everything. He was focused on his, you know, fucking around, but that's hearsay, uh, or as I like to call it, a Brickhouse Brown shooter in a view, whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I really wish we could, you know, dive a little bit more into that. I think that's one of the, like, the few territories that I'd like to watch a three-year run of. That and Smoky Mountain are like my two that I'd love to just, if I had time in the world, just watch a, a television episode a day or a week or whatever, just to kind of get the feel of that wrestling program. Following Mid-South, it was back to Central States, and oddly enough, he gets into kind of a career-defining thing. Butch would hop into a tag team with Rufus Arch Jones. He later turned on Jones, though, and joined a group managed by Slick in 1986 and slick had like just started out in texas before coming to central states and this would be his like first real swing in the business after a feud with jones reed feuded with bruiser brody that summer he lost a loser leaves town match to brody left a territory along with slick and with a good word from jyd and ernie ladd reed and slick signed with the wwf and were brought in as a package can you explain to me slick's gimmick I always thought it was like that, like kind of seventies, like hustler mm-hmm. sort of. Uh, what's it? Black exploitation yeah. movie uh, type of type of a thing. Superfly. Yeah, almost like a bookie yeah. kind of. You know, yeah, like just... an an insensitive stereotype yeah. for black people. <laughs> yeah, there it is. You know, that's something. What I meant. Yeah, yeah, that's what you meant. <laughs> something like that for WWF. Upon entering the WWF, Reed dyed his hair blonde and became the natural, get it, because it's, it's the opposite, because he's a bad guy, uh, the natural but Reed. His first TV match was Superstars of Wrestling beating William Tab on September 19th, 86. From here, 
he was just in the WWF grinder, house shows, pop in for a TV win versus a job guy. He faced Pedro Morales, feuded with Tito Santana, wrestled Jake the Snake and Piper. And then he was on WrestleMania 3, facing Coco Beware in the battle of Coco's speed versus Reed's power. When you said Co- Coco Beware's speed, as in like drugs, that's what I thought oh. you were talking. <laughs> I thought you were going for some sort of joke. It was like, Coco Beware's speed versus Butch Reed's cocaine. Who's <laughs> going to win at WrestleMania 3? You know, and some sort of insensitive thing that Vince McMahon would have done. Like, you got two drug dealers fighting over a corner. Who's going to win? The speed dealer or the coke dealer? Tonight on Wrestling Superstars. <laughs> this one was very interesting. I, this is one of the ones I, I rewatched for the, uh, for the podcast. And from beginning of the entrances to um, Slick getting his ass kicked and getting put to the back, it is not even 10 minutes. Almost his entire pay-per-view run, at least, is five minutes and less. It's, it's crazy. I mean, you have Butch Reed on your roster. Just doesn't showcase him at fucking all. I just assume he gets the, he gets the paychecks for the pay-per-views, and he's like, all right, that's, that's what yeah. you want. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, trust me, I, I just did that uh, last weekend. A guy paid me my full rate, and I go, all right, well, we're, since we're main event, you want to do this, this, and this, and this? And he just looked at me and goes, I'm not going to remember all that, man. Like, <laughs> I'm like, so you just want to go from the comeback to the finish? Yeah, that sounds better. I, I would feel better. And he was the guy who was paying me, and I'm like... Are you sure? Like, like, are you paying me my my rate? I want I want to work for. It. I guess. Nah, that's good, man. That's all right. <laughs> like, okay. I mean, you're never gonna get a wrestler like when the boss tells you, no, nope, this is what I want, and they go, no, I want more. Only only stupid kids now that were like, I want 20 minutes or I want to go on last. Like, no, you're you're being stupid. Just take the money and run. There'll be another day for you to wrestle for 25 minutes, but unfortunately, Butch Reed never got that in WWF, but he got a sweet paycheck, so... Yeah. I love that the Booker wow. is also a lazy wrestler. I, I love that dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> After beating Coco at WrestleMania, it was right back off to the house show circuit with Tito, Coco, Macho Man, and he even ran back into JYD, although this is not the JYD from a few years ago, and this version of the feud would just be nothing, basically. Around June of 87, the rumor was that Butch was going to get the IC title, taking it off of Ricky Steamboat, but he missed a show or the show, and they gave that to Honky Tonk Man, who replaced him in winning the belt June 13th, 87, and held it for 454 days. Oh, it was that run. Okay, great. Um, yeah. Well, now I'm a little frustrated, Butch Reed, that he gave Honky Tonk Man that. <laughs> I mean, that's how this works. You know, like a guy misses a show and then it ends up this is the thing that launches a man career. And I'm sure Vince was like, God damn, Butch no showed. Who can we get that's always going to fucking be around? <laughs> like, and Hulk, Hulk Duncan is like, I'll be there. I'll be every day of the week. You just pay me, just pay me my check, Vince. I'll be there every single day. I'll, I'll rust as many three minute matches as you want, Daddy. It's funny to me that he's like, Oh, you forgot my show? Well, that title I was going to give you, I'm giving it to Honky Tonk Man, and I'm forgetting about it. <laughs> There's no saying whether he would have got that run or not, but either way, he missed an icy title. Rumor is he missed an icy title run, and that butterfly effect for sure changed his like legacy with the company. Fucking Butch Reed's like, God damn, fucking honky. Like, just sitting around. <laughs> fucking honky. And he's mad at the guy with the guitar, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fall of 87, Reed was hopping into a full-scale feud with superstar Billy Graham, who was on a comeback from his hip replacement surgery, 
they worked a ton of house shows from September to November, but Billy couldn't shake the surgery. They ended up setting up like a bunch of bodybuilding contests, but uh, Billy Graham was like done here. They had Butch and fellow slick stablemate One Man Gang take Billy out. So Butch Reed helped end superstar Billy Graham's career, kayfabe wise. Yeah, and then I think like then Don Morocco like jump mm-hmm. in and be well. I'll fight for you, Billy. And like, yeah, like it just kind of stuck in mid card. It's it's like stuck in first gear and it just never gets out of gear. And I'm yeah. sure you were like, hey, we really want to do something with Billy Graham. He's like, he's coming back. Butch is a good hand. Give it to him. But then it's just career suicide for everybody involved, yeah. you know, because Billy just can't go and be superstar Billy Graham. And then also, too, like when Billy Graham was Billy Graham, he was the only one. Nobody else looked like that. And now yeah. there's a roster full of people who look like Billy Graham. And now it's uh, swinging back the other way. And you got guys, I love him, great wrestler, but you got guys like Eddie Kingston. You're like, this is different. I like this. All right. Butch would be in the main event of the first ever Survivor Series in 87. Billy was supposed to be part of this. He was re- replaced by Don Morocco, uh, who's on Billy's side in this feud. Don Morocco teaming with Hulk, Kim Patera, Bam Bam, and Paul Orndorff against Butch, Andre, Rick Rude, Ted, Ted Bundy, <laughs> uh, King Kong Bundy. No, that's Al Bundy. Oh, Ted Bundy's the serial is, killer. Is, oh, fuck. <laughs> Bundy and One Man Gang. Welcome to Ten Bell Pod, the episode where you get everybody's fucking name wrong. Uh, Holy shit. You got Al Bundy, Ted Bundy's out there, Bruce Reed, (laughs) Pritchard Hacksaw. I mean, they're all out there. They're all out there. Uh, Man, I I listened to too much last podcast. Butch wrestles around with Kimpatera, Morocco, Orndorff before he feels the true power of Hulkamania Jack and is hit by the world's biggest leg drop dude and first person eliminated in about three minutes. Andre ends up winning. Don, Morocco, and Butch fought through the house show circuit heading towards the first ever Royal Rumble. So they had open mic the Royal Rumble in October of 87, which was like a 12-man sort of thing, one by one-man gang. But Butch entered the official Royal Rumble in 88 at third and... Butch, again, only gets roughly three minutes of a pay-per-view when he was eliminated by uh, Jake the Snake, making him the first person ever eliminated from an official Royal Rumble. And then who won? Was it Duggan? Yeah, yeah good job, Tyler. There you, I go. there you go. <laughs> Two months later, Butch was eliminated in the first round of the WrestleMania Four Championship Tournament by eventual winner, spoilers, Randy Savage who finishes Butch off with CM Punk's elbow drop. And then this would be Butch Reed's final match with the WWF. Slick stayed, but Reed was back off to the territories. And he was just like, I was tired of the schedule. That was like his whole thing. He was just fucking over it. Butch Reed resurfaced in the NWA and Crockett as Hacksaw Butch Reed once again, January 3rd, 89, beating Max MacGyver on a TV taping. And then a couple weeks later, he crushed a well-mulleted George South, even giving him the very disrespectful double-by pose pin. In Butch's first premium live event with the company, he'd get more ring time than his entire WWF pay-per-view live combined, taking on Sting February 20th, 89, at Chi-Town Rumble. This match is followed by a Steamboat promo where he's holding little baby Richie, and all I could think the whole time is Jake Manning punched that baby. 
Yeah, hard one time. <laughs> Real fucking hard. Did you deserve it? Oh, no, I was just trying to get myself over, brother. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this ends when Butch tries to hold on to the rope pin. Teddy Long, who's refing at the time, knocks his hands off, and Stinger rolls him up for the L. Butch was originally managed by J.J. Dillon, but his contract was sold to Hiro Matsuda and the Yamasaki Corporation, which was supposed to be a Japanese corporation that was invading and buying up WCW contracts with no racist undertones whatsoever. <laughs> However, it never really got over, so it was dropped. There was talk of Butch joining the Four Horsemen, which would have been fucking cool. Hence the JJ management, but it ended up being Yamasaki. Uh, the Four Horsemen during this time were all fucked up. Arden Tolley went to WWF. JJ was trying to go backstage in a backstage role. Barry Windham got injured, and then there was like some will they won't they with Kendall Windham that never panned out. I forgot the Hero Matsuda thing. That was just yeah, like something that it was just something they like. Oh, let's give Hero Matsuda a job because he trained all these guys. So let's kind of reward him a little bit, but he wasn't good at his job. But let's give him a job anyways because he's a friend to everybody, which pff, never happens in fucking wrestling. Am I right, guys? <laughs> so, but yeah, like th- this whole WCW era is weird, and he walked into it. And at the same time, too, they don't have as many shows. It's on TV. So he's happy with that. WCW also tried to reignite the JYD feud. They did have a Clash of Champions 6 match in New Orleans, so I get what they were going for there. In general, there was just not a lot happening for Butch Reed. He was uh, getting steady work, showing up to TV here or there. But then came motherfucking doom, you motherfucking bitch. Jake, hit him with it. How's it go? Doom! Butch is around 35 here, not an old age, but this is around where athletes from real sports are thinking about retiring. His knees weren't good after college football, so they didn't just like get better after a decade of wrestling. He's starting to slow down a little bit. He could still go, but he wasn't 1982, Butch Reed. The thinking was Butch could cover for Ron Simmons' lack of experience, and Ron Simmons could cover for Butch's creaky-ass knees. Fantastic. Let's make money, put belts on them. They're going to kick everybody's fucking ass. Great idea. Worked out for everybody. So around this time, the Steiners, mostly Rick, were involved in an angle with Woman, a.k.a. Nancy Sullivan. I will uh, check with our censors to see if I can say that. We'll get deeper into this, her part of this next season when we cover Nancy. I'm sure those months of research will have no negative effect on my mental health. Please donate to Patreon. Woman had promised doom for the Steiner brothers, but never specified exactly what this meant. Doom technically made their debut October 17th, 89 against Johnny Kennedy and George South. But the way things were taped and chopped up, yada, 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 it was released later. Doom, with Doom 1 being Ron and Doom 2 being Butch, was officially unleashed at the proper spooky setting of the first ever Halloween Havoc 89. They were under mask to hide that it was Butch and Ron, but literally everyone was like, huh, wonder which two of the four black men ever hired by WCW at this point could this be? (laughs) Their first match with the Steiners, it's a good back and forth. You can't be more fucking over than the Steiners and WCW around this point. 
It ends when woman puts a foreign object in Butch's mask on his head and he headbutts Rick, which seems like it would hurt both of them, but whatever. And they get the cheap win, which why not just put them over clean? Uh, you know, the, the Steiners were going to be fucking fine. There's a callback to a couple weeks ago, the Rosie episode. I'm hesitant to do it. God. There was, okay. <laughs> you already know where I'm going. <laughs> why it did not hurt his head. If you... Okay, I understand. <laughs> you know, uh, is what Jake learned on his first day of wrestling training. Jake, uh, if you want to tell the class. Oh, listen, you can't hit a black man in his head. <laughs> it would, it'll hurt your hand. If you do, you got to sell your hand. And you definitely can't hit a Samoan in the head. And then, if a Samoan headbutts a black man, who sells it? I don't know. You tell me. And we, we are just, uh, we, we are simply vessels for this uh, antiquated way of thinking. We do not endorse <laughs> yes. any of this. That either is a testament of how long I've been wrestling <laughs> or how far we have come in a short period of time in that I remember clearly somebody explaining that to me during wrestling class that this is how it is to be done and this is how <laughs> wrestling is. So you must do those things. And also here's how to do a hip toss. Like in the same <laughs> breath, in the same class, we're discussing this t- particular topic on this is how you wrestle. From here, Doom mostly focused on the Steiners, who had picked up the tag belts from the Freebirds. Doom also beat the Italian Stallion a couple of times uh, with a few different partners. Doom gets some quality TV wins. They're getting some decent booze from the crowd. And then they head into Starcade 89. And I don't know if this is like one of the 500 times WCW changed booking because someone had a cocaine hangover. But in the same night, after all this hype, Doom lost to the Road Warriors, the Samoan SWAT team, and the Steiners. Same night. Just job the fuck out. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand why. Add to that, Woman left to manage the Horsemen. They went into 1990 doing a house show run with the Road Warriors and the Steiners. Like, Road Warriors versus the Steiners versus Doom. That had to have been just visually fucking insane. February 90, Clash of Champions 10, Doom had a, t- a, a title versus mask match, which leads to possibly the least dramatic unmasking in wrestling history when the Steiners win via roll-up. Butch actually had his mask ripped off mid-match, and then after Ron takes his off and the crowd's like, yeah, <laughs> we, we fucking know. At RoboCop 2 commercial, Capital Combat, May 19th, 1990, Doom, now managed by Teddy Longplaya, took on the Steiners once again for the WCW tag titles. Two collegiate wrestlers versus two collegiate football players. So JR is just, nah. Well, it's JR, you mean, you mean Tyler over here. <laughs> imagine, the, imagine the traps in that fucking match. Oh, that's a trap you can't get out of. Doom gets a uh, tag team title win here. It's not clean, but they get the fucking win. And they become the first black NWA slash WCW tag team champions. Just more typical woke propaganda from WCW. This is the match, uh, or another match, where I, I saw Butch's um, promo skills on display. And Teddy, after the match, they interview him, and, and Teddy's like, you know, he, he cuts a decent enough promo. He's like, hey, you know, we did, came in, we did what we said we are going to do. This is what, blah, 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 blah. And then it's like kind of winding down. And I think the interview, I think it was Tony Schiavone, like takes the, the mic back. And then Butch is like, you think we're some type of fly by night? And he just like <laughs> peaks all the levels, screams for about four sentences. And he's like, all right, I'm done. 
Doom defended the tag belts over the next few weeks against the Steiners, as well as the rest of WCW's very talented tag team division. You got the Southern Boys, Tracy Smothers and Steve Armstrong, Rock and Roll Express, and they faced them at 90s American Bash uh, Season 4, Episode 1, retaining with a fuck finish, which, I mean, they had to do. Look at Ricky and Rob and look at Ron and Butch, uh, fucking (laughs) obviously. The next feud would be with Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Teddy Long's managing by now, and he and Rick handle most of the promos. They end up betting Rick's Rolls Royce and Yacht versus Teddy having to chauffeur for the Four Horsemen. So at Clash 13, Thanksgiving Thunder, Butch took on Rick 1v1, lost, and that gave the Horsemen a tag team shot at Starcade. At Starcade, Barry Windham subbed in for Rick, who was abducted on the way to the show. Uh, he ended up being Black Scorpion in the main event against Sting. Uh, spoilers. Barry and Arn got the title shot in the street fight. Brutal, chaotic match. Ends in a double pin tie like it's fucking soccer. But uh, Doom keeps the belts. Clash 14, Doom lost a non-title match to Sting and Lex Luger. And then Butch's shoot. Hannibal brought up that, hey, uh, Lex Luger, he didn't like getting hit too hard in the ring. What are your thoughts on that? And Butch goes, I didn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, who else didn't give a shit? Uh, the people like Galoob, who I believe when the Butch Reed action figure came out, it looked exactly like the Ron Simmons oh, no. action figure. <laughs> There's there's the thing. I can't remember what like the box I can't remember if they just switched the box but then they kept the same figure in oh, with man. like Ron's hairstyle. Like there is a very insensitive thing about the Butch Reed Gloob action figure. Or it was a situation that's got Ron's picture on it, but really the figure is designed for Butch and they didn't give Butch a figure. There's there's a some fuckery when it comes to the Doom action figures that I'm sure the Major Brothers can tell you all about. At February 91's Wrestle War, Doom's title run came to an end when they met the Freebirds, Jimmy Garvin and Michael Hayes. Butch tries to hit Doc Hendricks with a foreign object. He ducks. He hits Ron. Jim covers Simmons. They lose the belt. After the match, Ron is mad. He shoves Teddy Long, which brings Butch over to beat that ass, thus dooming Doom. Ron and Butch would work the house shows together. The feud popped off at Super Brawl 1 when they met in a steel cage called a Thunderdoom cage. Kind of a cage turducken with, uh, you know, them in the cage. And then Teddy Long is dangling from a cage above the cage in his own cage. Ron uh, gets the win here with a spine buster. And he, you know, kicks off his career. Goes on to win the world title. After the match, Butch took some time away from WCW. There is a big gap in his employment history. August 92, he pops into Global Wrestling Federation, showing back up to WCW for like a handful of weird matches. He's he's teaming with Dustin Rhodes, the barbarian, super invader, who is Asian Hercules. And then after this blip, he was done with WCW for good. October 12th, 92, Butch was in USWA to feud with JYD, even beat him for the USWA United title once. Obviously, not the feud it was in Mid-South. He dropped the title off the top champion and was out of the promotion by 92. And from there, Butch's career really starts to like wind down. He spent April of 93 in World Wrestling Superstars, mostly facing Warlord. He was actually on a show with Cheetah Kid versus Johnny Rotten, which we just talked about. All this shit's so connected. He spent the rest of the 90s in the American Indies taking just a handful of dates per year. 
and he was mostly focusing on the rodeo, which he had done throughout his career. I think he said he, like, roped steers or something. I, I don't understand the rodeo. Butch spent a good chunk of 01 and 02 helping Harley get WLW off the ground. He beat Luminous Warrior for their heavyweight title March 31st, 01. Held it until January 25th, 02, giving it to Dennis McCall. You said Luminous Warrior? Yeah, I thought that was a pretty crazy name. Oh, man. Also, Ultimate Warrior was pretty luminous. Yeah, nothing but light coming from that guy. (laughs) After losing the title, he retired from wrestling, went back to the rodeo. After being retired for three years, he did return in 05, appearing in Mid-States Wrestling, eventually winning their title. Butch made a cameo in a segment September 14th, 07 on SmackDown for Teddy Long's Bachelor Party. And JBL actually mentioned Doom on commentary, which is easily the coolest thing JBL's ever done. From here, he's just doing convention appearances. A random match here or there with Reed's last match being May 18th, 2013, teaming with Bob Orton Jr., losing to Flash Flanagan and Ron Powers in SICW in Illinois. From here, he just, you know, again, rodeo stuff. He worked a few construction jobs. He hit the conventions, just kind of lived as a human person. He was a little mad at the industry. He was definitely caught in that generation of guys who just got like no help after, you know, after they were done. And then Butch Reed is not in the Hall of Fame. It is a pretty glaring omission, like on top in Florida, historic feud with JYD. Doom was the coolest shit ever. I know like most of that's not in the actual WWE, but they own that shit now. So it has to be considered, right? In my and, opinion, yeah. Like the people they've put in post-mortem, which checks all those boxes. He was sure. a top draw in two of the best wrestling promotions of all time, Florida and Mid-South. He was a top guy there. He was part of your big major run during the 80s. I, I feel like if you were a top draw and you know, just one territory, and then you were part of that big 80s expansion, I think you're in consideration as a Hall of Famer. I think you're kind of in the mix, and clearly he was. And then also, too, under the WCW umbrella and tag team champion with Ron Simmons. I think it I think it all counts. Like, it, he has to be. It just, unfortunately, there's nobody championing Butch Reed to be in the Hall of Fame, and they really should be, and somebody should be pushing for that in some way, form, and fashion. Now, you know, is he going to be one of those people that they bring his family out of WrestleMania? No, but he's on those people that he at least gets a graphic that say yeah. they're in, in in the Hall of Fame. He's definitely one of those guys and should be. And he should also be one of those people that his family sitting out there at WrestleMania waving at everybody when they announce that, you know, inductee and accepting for him and honoring him is his family. There's not a huge history of black wrestlers really being treated with any amount of respect aside from like uh junkyard dog and and a few of the guys that like reached a certain level and especially if you didn't reach that level under vents i think that's what really hinders you in the hall of fame hunt but i could see especially now that things are changing with like the the structure of the company and all that i could see because wwe does love ron simmons they love him the stuff that he's got with the APA, the the first uh, black world heavyweight champion. I think all of that is probably the best way that they could get Butch Reed in is being like, all right, Ron, I don't even know if he's in there by himself, but I know he's in with the APA. It's maybe doing a, a doom induction just as kind of a thank you to Butch and another like notch in the belt for Ron Simmons since he is such a, a, a WWE member of the family. 
Then we get to uh, Butch's passing. His relatives attribute his death to COVID. They said he tested positive for it January 12th, 2021. And then on February 5th, 2021, an Instagram post from Butch Reed's account announced that he had died from the complications of two heart attacks that occurred in January. Butch Reed was only 66 years old. Final thoughts on Butch Reed. I'm very happy I got to go back and revisit some stuff with Butch Reed. The wrestling was solid. I especially like the uh, Teddy Long suspended over the ring match because it's just, it's a silly visual and it's these two dudes that are absolutely monsters of human beings just absolutely beating the shit out of each other. And the thing that I liked the most about Butch was hearing him in shoot interviews because his tone and his matter-of-factness, like you were saying, um, you know, it sounds like he didn't want to get hit too hard. I didn't give a shit. Like that just <laughs> laissez-faire attitude and like still a spark for like, you know, getting a laugh and, and telling a good story, even in the midst of like having a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about the wrestling industry. I appreciate that. While he's this like big, scary dude, he seems like pretty affable and like a solid hand, uh, but also like sticking up for himself from time to time when he like with the WWF, uh, the, the parting of that, he was like, well, the schedule's a bit much for me. And I don't think that. I'm going to throw my body away on something like this. This is a hard enough business business as it is. I'm going to take my stuff elsewhere. And I appreciate those guys that can stand up for themselves and do what's right for their selves deep down without giving everything to wrestling. We all know at the end of these, had he not been in wrestling, would he have lived longer than 64? Absolutely. And everyone, no one really gets out of the wrestling business unscathed, but I'm happy that he was able to find his place, help his mentor towards the end of the career, and kind of put a button on that whole thing. And, um, yeah, I'm happy I got to learn all this stuff about Butch Reed. Seems like a solid guy. Yeah, like I said up front, maybe the most criminal offense for a guy being left behind by fans, the industry, WWE, us, everyone. He did it all, and he did it at the absolute highest level that was available. He did the best work he could do in Florida and Mid-South. You know, like, what, what else do you want from him? <laughs> Everything about Butch Reed is underrated. A lot of his best stuff was the territories. He didn't get those big WWE pay-per-view moments, so he is a victim of, like, timing. But Butch Reed most certainly deserves his spot in wrestling history and definitely needs more love from all of us. Criminally underrated. I do believe he will become a Hall of Famer, but you know, the way the Hall of Fame works, it's it's going to take a lot of people to push that. I think you know anybody listening to this podcast, maybe that's something we start tweeting about here. We as this podcast comes out, we're kind of in the season that they're starting to think about the Hall of Fame, so start putting that out in the ether. You know, Hall of Fame Butch Reed, twenty twenty four. Like that's you know something that, that that should happen. He has the resume. You compare it to anybody else that's in, in the Hall of Fame, and he definitely deserves it. I've actually, as, as I always say with these episodes, at least give me somebody who I've at least met before. And I have met Butch Reed before, and he did a sign it live virtual gimmick table with highspots.com. And Butch was, I will say, a character at least. I, 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 I will not. Talk about everything that happened, but he was definitely a, a character. 
nonetheless. And he was kind of struggling at the time that we brought him in. But Ron Simmons and Teddy Long were there and made sure that they were at this appearance and, and did a lot of the heavy lifting of that appearance because they knew this appearance financially and also like for a lot of reasons was important to Butch. Like they were there for him. They were they were friends to him and I have the utmost respect for Ron Simmons and, and even Teddy Long. So if they they tell me that Butch Reed is a good dude and if something's happened, you look out for him and he's a, he's a friend, then yeah, he's he's a good dude. You look out for him and we should really try and get him in the Hall of Fame because he's got the resume. It not just talks to you, it screams at you that he should be a Hall of Famer. All right, that is Butch Reed's Tim Bell Pod. As always, thanks for listening. Check out the Patreon. Check out the Pro Wrestling Tees store. Check out Jake's wrestling shows. Check out Tyler's stand-up shows. I don't do shit but this. <laughs> Jake Tyler, yeah. As always, make sure ma- oh, you 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 go ahead. You go ahead, Jake. Age before beauty. Okay. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, as always, make sure you leave a review. It very much helps uh, the algorithm. So it is very important that you leave a review. Also, to make sure you watch Dynamite, Rampage, and Collision, especially Collision. We probably we haven't renewed our TV rights deal, so every every rating counts, folks. So TK, I'm doing my due diligence. So um, I will look for that raise whenever you can give it to me. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Uh, Be sure to let us know whatever Patreon episodes you guys are interested in. We've had a lot of fun ones this season. Uh, Five degrees of separation, wrestling competition, pitting these two guys against each other and their vast knowledge of wrestling. We've had some fun drunk wrestling histories. I think we may do a couple more before the end of the year. But yeah, just let us know what stuff you might want to see, what subjects you might want us to cover, any suggestions for future episodes as we start thinking about next season. It's going to be a big one. I'm very excited for it. Nick? Okay, I'm ready. After five years, I think I have a sign-off line. (laughs) Maybe I say it out loud for the first time, and I hate it, and I edit it out, and I never say it again. (laughs) But all this comes from the more I've separated myself from, like, the internet wrestling community or, like, reading Instagram comments and forums and dirt sheets, yada, yada, yada. The more I've just been able to, like, enjoy wrestling just at face value without all the fucking negative shit spinning in my head. I can like just drop into like a pay-per-view, AEW, WWE, whatever, and just like it. Just just watch the matches. So, sign off line. Get the fuck off the internet and go enjoy wrestling. Goodbye. I like that. Doom!